Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Go Tommy. Senator Tommy Tuberville, Republican of Alabama. I like him. He's not afraid. He's not intimidated. And he knows the military. They're playing a great big woke game doing the bidding of the Biden administration. It should not be that way. When the Dobbs ruling came down, he saw this coming. He could feel it. Check it out. Three months ago, I informed Secretary Austin that if he tried to turn the DOD into an abortion travel agency, I would place a hold on all civilian flag and general officer nominees. Secretary Austin's new abortion policy is immoral and arguably illegal. If he wants to change the law, he needs to go through Congress. Good for him. Absolutely right. And the Pentagon, they shouldn't be touching this thing with a 10-foot pole, but they went right there. Following the Supreme Court's decision, Secretary Austin and other DOD and service leaders received significant feedback from many service members about the complexity and uncertainty they now face in accessing reproductive health care to include abortion services. Within days of the Dobbs decision, the department issued guidance to reassure the force that the department would continue to provide federally authorized health care and would take action to increase access to contraceptive services. Take action. Bureaucratic talk for, yeah, becoming travel agents for people who want to have abortions in the military. This is not the way it was supposed to go down. And these generals and admirals do not deserve their promotions. In fact, they deserve to be demoted. And actually, it's funny, for the first time, I think, in the history of the world, the liberal media are concerned that there is no commandant of the Marine Corps right now. So the commandant of the Marine Corps, a guy named Berger, he retired today. And his replacement is actually not available because not Senate confirmed. They're not promoting these guys right now, thanks to Tommy Tuberville. And that's just fine. (laughs) It's amazing that liberals are saying, oh, somehow our uh, national defense is at risk. It's not. And quite frankly, it may have been at risk with this guy as commandant. (laughs) He's the one who got rid of all the tanks. It's a big issue in the Marine Corps. And it's still a matter of disbelief for a lot of us. So the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and uh, those guys, what they have done to this military. And I got to tell you, the military itself, I think overall, we're in a cultural crisis in America and in the military. Did you see this? Spoken word night. There's a spoken word night on aircraft carriers. Yes, LGBTQ spoken word night. And it goes something like this, apparently. I was able to deploy on the USS Gerald R. Ford last fall. And the coolest thing I did on board was to be able to participate in a LGBTQ spoken word night. And I was able to read a poem that I wrote to the whole ship. And That was probably the culmination of the whole deployment. 
All right, so it's not just the abortion issue where the military has gone woke and weird. In every other aspect, it is woke and weird. And I believe that's part of Senator Tuberville's concerns and why he's putting a hold on these promotions. Watch him in action. It's great. I have a lot of problems with this video. This non-binary officer said the highlight of a deployment on the USS Gerald Ford was reading a poem to the entire ship. Admiral Gilday, have you seen this video? I have. I hope we train our officers to prioritize their sailors, not themselves. Did it surprise you that a junior officer says the highlight of her deployment, her first and the ship's first, was about herself and her own achievement? I'll tell you why um, I'm particularly proud of this sailor. Proud of this sailor. This is the top sailor. This is the guy, the admiral, the, the, the CNO. Proud. This is the kind of stuff you see it all the time. Powerful people doing absurd things to keep their power. The non-binary officer the admiral's proud of, but Senator Tuberville gets it. I don't think Senator Tuberville actually served in the military. That doesn't matter. These people, the military, they work for civilians. That's the way it should be. Often they want to confuse the issue. More from Senator Tommy. The problem that I'm having is the obsession with race, gender, sex. It's focused on self. It's not focused on team. And if we don't start building team, we have no chance to win individually in this country. We have no chance. World-class football coach, oh, by the way, and he understands. He gets it. doesn't matter that he didn't serve in the military. The military has gone woke and weird, and this is threatening. This is threatening our national security. Not all, not a temporary hold on promotions for officers who, oh, by the way, have been losing wars lately. We have a massive cultural and tactical and strategic problem in the military. Uh, we all saw that with General Milley, of course, who will be leaving the job fairly soon, we believe. And his top enlisted deputy, the Sergeant Major of the Army, another beauty. This is the kind of stuff you're not supposed to be talking about in uniform, but in an effort to undermine Trump back in the summer of 2020, that's what they did. The word coup comes to mind, but maybe that's a little much, maybe. May I see Sergeant Major Grinstead? This is the top enlisted man in the United States Army at the time. In our Army, we have to trust and understand one another. We have to be willing to tell our stories. Here's part of my story. I was born in 1968. My father was black. My mother was white. So what? And he let the entire army know it. So what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But divide us, please. When I was three, they divorced and I moved to Alabama. Racial identity is something that I struggle with my entire life. Uh, it's not our problem. <laughs> you didn't have to. You chose to, in my opinion. Next. Coming to grips with both sides of my identity. At one point, I decided I would put black on the form. And at that time, I only had two choices. So I handed the form that I was given to the lady, and she said, that's not funny. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you shouldn't mark that. I said, well, I explained to her I was black and white, and I didn't have too many choices for anything else on that form. And the relevance of this is what? 
nothing other than to involve himself in the political moment. And that is so wrong. Finally. Sometimes my life, I felt like it's in the movie, The Green Book, where the actor gets out of the car and he says, I'm not black enough for the black people. I'm not white enough for the white people. That's my story. That's his story, huh? What about all the military stuff? He's a sergeant major of the army. Uh, he's in his 50s. This is what his story is all about. This is, um, how do we get here? How do we get here? We used to have generals like Colin Powell, okay? This guy, look, he went a little bit woke himself later in life after he took off the uniform. But when he was in uniform, and that guy you just saw, and Millie, and all the generals now, they were on active duty when the don't ask, don't tell policy was proposed and implemented. We are the best force in the world. And to be the best requires subjugating individual rights to the benefit of the group and the benefit of the team. Homosexuals over history who have been willing to keep their orientation private have been successful members of those teams. Congress and the courts have consistently upheld the unique circumstances of military service. And I believe the American people understand these unique circumstances and support them as well. Absolutely. We did and we do up until... Uh 10 minutes ago. What would Colin Powell? I mean, I know he voted for Obama and Biden and Hillary, but uh, forget him. What would what do we think of this? What's your drink of choice? A Negroni. I was going to say the same thing. With all right, so that's uh, an influencer. They, they got to put videos out for the, for the Navy. And again, look at the difference, right? General Colin Powell talking sensitively and responsibly about these issues and, then, and this stuff. Where Tommy Tuberville is right. We're not going to win the next war like this. We just don't have the bandwidth. He learned a lot of great stuff on that football field. And I want to remind everybody that, you know, we support the men and women who serve, but they we don't serve them. And more and more in this country, they want us to think it's the other way around. And it's not. Oh, by the way, quick reminder, uh, Mark Milley, soon to be ex-chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is a big fat liar. If you flash forward to today, uh, you've got a significantly, and in my opinion, much more positive situation uh, on your hand. Uh, first of all, with the security forces, this army is capable. Uh, so they've gone from zero to 350,000 uh, in, in a relatively short amount of time. And they are capable uh, at the tactical level every day, day in and day out. And they're proving it over and over and over again uh, in this summer's fighting season, the first summer that they've really and legitimately uh, been in the lead. Nobody who ever encountered the Afghanistan troops were particularly impressed, ever. Ten years ago, oh yeah, they're this close to standing up on their own. They're this close. The, the yes-man mentality, the telling the boss what the boss you think the boss wants to hear. This has infected the military, and it's almost ruined it. And it's been at work for a long time. Look, let's face it, military is on a losing streak. Lost in Vietnam. Lost in Vietnam. Now, I don't blame the soldiers and the Marines in the field, but the generals, you can look it up. Yeah, they were lying out loud. They were lying to everybody about it. No political overseers as well. Iraq, 
Uh, that was a bust, wasn't it? George W. Bush gets the blame, but it revealed major shortcomings in the military, both in our, our training and our tactics, and yeah, in our culture. Afghanistan, well, that one, huh? That one. It's almost like it never happened, actually. Strange. Less than two years ago, and it's been somewhat erased from public consciousness. Not mine, not yours, I hope. We have to get it together in the military in our country, and pretty soon, this country, at this rate, won't even be worth defending. This kind of perversion, am I gonna, who's gonna go fight for a country that, that supports this, that encourages this, hmm? <laughs> um, I'd fight that, I'd fight that from happening, but a country that supports it and promotes it and has institutionalized it, I don't know. What's next? West Wing or Crack Den, the mystery of the cocaine has not yet been solved. And for a brief shining moment, the mainstream media, they were fangs out. They wanted to get to the bottom of it, too. White House mystery. New details about the investigation into the cocaine discovered inside the West Wing. We have just learned that a formal lab has confirmed the suspicion that that white powdery substance found in the West Wing on Sunday was in fact positive for cocaine. A new turn in the White House cocaine mystery, a more precise location of where the drug was found. All right, but this is just the stuff they chatter about on cable news during the day. When it comes time for the big primetime Sunday political talk shows, zilch, zilch about this. The most talked about story last week, face the nation, deface the nation, they used to call it. No mention of the cocaine found at the White House. This week with uh, whoever's hosting it this week, no mention of the cocaine found at the White House. State of the Union with nasty, mean, fake Jake Tapper, no mention of the cocaine. And it goes, oh, how about this one, folks? Fox News Sunday. What is up with them, huh? They don't want to mention it either. What kind of deal do they have with the White House over there at Fox News? Now, meet the press. They did for about 20 seconds at the end of the show. But they did. Came up a little bit obliquely. Take a look. Before I close, Maureen Dowd, Garrett had a pretty tough piece on, on Joe Biden's. Uh, it was about sort of the... The Biden family isn't acknowledging all of Hunter Biden's children. Uh, it's seven grandkids, Mr. President, not six. I think we've all understand the personal challenge and, and, and concern and all of these things that the that the that the president has here. But his political foes are see this and they're trying to exploit. They're trying. I mean, there's no doubt. Every day, DeSantis or, or or Trump tries to use Hunter to beat up Biden. Uh, how's that world handling it? How dare those pesky Republicans go there? They're so exploitive. Everybody just wants this kid, this poor grandkid in Arkansas, is it, to be acknowledged. You know, it's interesting. The New York Times, for basically the first time, has been writing about this. Two articles so far in the past 10 days. Me? This show? I was talking about it in February of last year. The grandkid. It was a major story. That's, uh, that's Ms. Roberts on the left. And had a had Hunter's baby and unacknowledged. And that is a sin. That is a sin. Yes, it is. Anyway, now they talk about the cocaine. 
Look, I don't think anybody envies the position that the president and his family are in on this issue because his family and Hunter specifically have become his primary political liability in a lot of ways. I mean, look at the cocaine story from the last week and how many Republicans have tried to seize on that issue. It's really kind of ugly the way it's been done. It's kind of it's certainly kind of a tacky play here. Tacky. I mean, there's cocaine in the White House near the Situation Room. This is somehow not a legitimate story. This is Republicans being this is a smear campaign. One more. Look, this is as complex as it gets to have to, you know, I don't think all of us here are parents, right? The idea of trying to balance your family's needs versus your political imperative is is just ugly and unpleasant yeah. in politics as we're going to get, and we're going to get way down in it. I was just going to say, over. this is only the beginning. Yeah. All right, I got to run. That's all we have for today. Uh, let's get out of here real quick. End of the show. That guy who said we, we're all parents, he's younger than Hunter Biden. What is he talking about? Hunter Biden is, I think he might be a grandfather himself. He's old enough to be one. Um, this little footnote about drugs in the White House. Does anybody remember George H.W. Bush's first speech from the Oval Office in 1989? It was about drugs, and something unusual happened. Tonight, I'll tell you how many Americans are using illegal drugs. I will present to you our national strategy to deal with every aspect of this threat, and I will ask you to get involved in what promises to be a very difficult fight. This, this is crack cocaine seized a few days ago by drug enforcement agents in a park just across the street from the White House. It could easily have been heroin or PCP. It's as innocent looking as candy, but it's turning our cities into battle zones and it's murdering our children. After he did that, all hell broke loose. How could he have brought crack cocaine into the White House, even though it said evidence right there? Uh, there's a huge controversy about this, more controversy about that than the actual cocaine that Hunter, Kamala, who knows who else, may have been using. One more thing, Joe Biden, such an angry, nasty guy in reality. You know, his whole message to the American people, I'm, I'm a, I got a big heart, Mr. Empathy, that thing with the grandkids it's starting to really get people's attention, and this could be his undoing. We'll have more on that when we come back. President Zelensky, Z. Um, well, he's been at this war for a long time, and did you know that they're not going to have elections in Ukraine until the war is over? Uh, Democracy, right? Democracy. Democracy when the war is over. Uh, take a look at this. I, I didn't realize this, but uh, they'll have elections, he says, if we win, and we will. So there will be no wartime. There will be no war, and elections should take place in peacetime when there is no war, according to the law. They're citing the law. There's a law in Ukraine that says no elections during wartime. Well, here in America, you can have an election during war. And presidents often win. FDR, uh, let's see, the war started in 1941, re-elected in 1944. Richard Nixon, Vietnam was still raging in 1972. George W. Bush, somehow, no weapons of mass destruction, was re-elected in 2004. Uh, let's skip all the way back to Churchill. Uh, 
the UK was already in World War II, and, and he was elected. They had elections during World War II. Something for perhaps for uh, Zelensky to talk about. In the meantime, the coverage here in America is very one-dimensional when it comes to these matters of Ukraine and Russia. On Fox News Sunday, they had two senators on. Um, both were for sending all kinds of bombs and weapons to uh, Ukraine. Uh, Senator Barrasso, Republican. Yep, absolutely. Let's get those cluster bombs uh, over there. Senator Tim Kaine, also uh, a hawk on Ukraine, except he has some qualms about the cluster bombs. But other than that, uh, no problem. Chris Christie. <laughs> and that's the other guy they had on uh, really low in the polls. But he is a swamp favorite. And I guess that does include Fox News. Joe Biden was in his beloved Delaware at the beach. I thought this was artificial intelligence. That's Joe Biden with the greenish towel over his shoulder. That's the president of the United States right there. Uh, just hanging around and, and nobody seems to give a darn that the president of the United States is uh, under an umbrella right next to them on the beach. This is not a good look uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, for that right there, this looks like loafing. And I kind of remember when he was campaigning. I mean, all politicians say this, that they will not stop. They will not rest. They will fight. They will do all this stuff, right? They're going to be working like crazy as soon as they become president. I will not rest. And I mean this from the bottom. Of, I will not rest. I promise I will do everything in my power. I will not relent. We're not going to rest. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make progress on the matters that matter most. I won't let you down. I'll always keep fighting for you, and many others will, and many in the Republican Party as well will fight for you. Wow. Is that something? Does that seem, when you look at that and you hear that, Look, if you were the president of the United States, would you be hanging around the beach? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's not going to be president for much longer. And uh, you make the most of it every step of the way, in my opinion. So right now he's in Europe. He started the day in England. And they know that Joe isn't too sharp over there. That that's uh, He's having tea with Rishi Sunak. He's the prime minister of England. And this guy knows firsthand that Joe is very, very shaky. Do you remember when he was at the, nothing bad happened today? All right. Nothing too bad. But do you remember when this man visited Washington, D.C., and Joe could not remember the name of Winston Churchill? An awful lot of stories that are told, probably a bunch apocryphal about uh, um, uh, the former prime minister. Uh, like to take baths up there. Anyway, wandering around at three in the morning. Yeah, Winston Churchill <laughs> bothering uh, bothering Mrs. Roosevelt. Yes. So you you won't, don't worry, you won't see me there. He didn't know the name Winston Churchill, uh, and it's not a former prime minister. It's the late great Winston Churchill. Uh, all right, that was a save by the prime minister. Good for him. Then this happened today. Wasn't a verbal miscue, but certainly uh, an ambulatory miscue. Biden is walking in front of King Charles. 
It's kind of funny calling Prince Charles King Charles, but he's a king now. Anyway, Joe should not be in front of him. He should be next to him. Uh, George W. Bush knew how to do it, right? If he could do it, anybody could do it. Uh, Donald Trump, you know, they gave him a hard time, but he was great. The queen really liked him. Look at all the nasty stuff they said about Trump, okay? I mean, headline after headline that he did not... If you blinked, you missed it that he walked in front of the queen for about four seconds. Four seconds. Watch. Four seconds. Now, you compare that to Joe Biden. All right. That's why they got mad at Trump right there. And then, look, it's corrected. He stops. He, he looks for her. Oh, there you are. OK, let's walk together. That's the worst thing that ever happened. Total breach of protocol. Joe Biden on the right. I mean, that. That's not even close to anything like protocol. Wow. It's so unbelievably unfair, huh? But what would we talk about if they didn't do this stuff? It's kind of amusing. We'll be right back. You're on the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Hi, it's Tony Marino, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast, your daily news bulletin of Newsmax's top headlines, along with commentary from our hosts and experts. You can learn more about all of the free podcasts, including Newsmax Daily, Rob Carson, and Jerry Callahan at Newsmax.com slash listen. Cleveland, Ohio, nine people shot, gunmen at large. Uh, look, these things happen in uh, the inner city a lot, a lot. This is new, though. Blame Republicans. Check it out. I'm sick and tired of hearing from our residents and victims of gun violence and Republicans blaming us as mayors for violent crime. We need their help. We need their help. And it's important that we hold them accountable for passing dangerous gun laws in our state that make it hard for us to keep our communities safe. Well, um, there are all kinds of gun laws in Ohio and federally as well. And uh, the guns that were used in this violence, uh, they were illegal. <laughs> they were illegal. Uh, AWR Hawkins joins us. He is a Second Amendment columnist for Breitbart News and uh, that weekly newsletter downrange with AWR Hawkins. Welcome back, sir. Good to see you. What do you think of the mayor? Well, I think the mayor's scapegoat. Uh, you know, as you say, there are plenty of laws in the books. And not only that. He went on to talk about constitutional carry in particular, which was Senate Bill 215, uh, SB 215. Uh, and he said that that is something the Republicans passed last summer, which opened the door to all this violence. But as I pointed out, Greg, at Breitbart this morning, he missed that in 2019, his city was ranked uh, number 10 in America uh, for the for the violence and death that was happening in that city. So it has nothing to do with Republicans or Republican laws that are or aren't passed. Uh, it's as as everybody knows, when you get in these Democrat run cities, if you go into the inner city, you're in a dangerous spot. And it's true for Democrat run cities across the country. And there are a million things you can talk about other than guns that are contributing to the problems in the inner city. I'd like to uh, the media equally as superficial. Uh, check it out. 
it is time for this legislature and frankly legislators across the country to swear off their addiction to NRA money and to swear off their addiction to this gun fetish. It's because we have uniquely bad gun laws. There are more guns than people in our nation right now with very few restrictions on weapons of mass killing. This is absolutely outrageous. What they are promoting is a guns everywhere culture. And we are going to continue to push back on this. Now it feels like it's a drumbeat. It feels like the slaughter is continuous. It feels like we have reached a new level of allowing horrible, horrible, horrible slaughters of innocents in this country. You know, instead of lying about the NRA to the extent that they do, maybe if they embrace the NRA, then the NRA is all about mm, responsible gun ownership, marksmanship. Um, I mean, seriously, if they embrace the NRA, do you think we could actually reduce fatalities in the inner city? Maybe fewer innocent bystanders shot, that kind of thing. Well, sure, because one of the big things the NRA does is they teach gun safety. Uh, Greg, I'm sure you and I both know that. And, you know, I would embrace not only the NRA, but the Second Amendment Foundation and Gun Owners of America. Those three, I take them all together because they all do something different. But if we would embrace these groups, I say we, if the left would embrace these groups instead of maligning them, yeah, we'd be in a far different place. And the other thing, Greg, they keep talking about the money of the NRA. And you saw one of those individuals wearing a Mom's Demand t-shirt. That means she's part of a group that thrives because of the money of Mike Bloomberg. I'm tired of hearing about the deep pockets of the NRA when these leftists, these billionaire leftists are funding this gun control movement. It's the only reason it still survives, Greg, because they've lost so many times. Anyone else would have to pack up their toys and go home, but he keeps pumping money in it. So they keep fighting, and, and that's what we're up against. Yeah, and the NRA, when it comes to don uh, donations to politicians, is way down on the list. There are so right. many entities out there, Big Pharma and the like, uh, spending a lot more money. I'd like to put up the Second Amendment, actually, the text of it. And I think this is the complete uh, Second Amendment. And let's go ahead and read it once it's up on the screen. Here we go. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Um, we've all seen it. We've all read it. But that part about a free state, necessary to the security of a free state, um, Look, books have been written about the Second Amendment. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and what the uh, casual reader may be missing there? Right. Well, if you read, I would, I would, I would ask your your viewers, Greg, to read Federalist Forty Six tonight. It's only six or seven pages, uh, or tomorrow. Read Federalist Forty Six. James Madison wrote that. The same individual that wrote the Second Amendment. And what he said in Federalist Forty Six is that we have guns. So that if the state were being overran by the federal government, in other words, if the federal government exceeds its allotted spot, the federal government only has power that we loan it. It does not have power naturally. It's not born with rights like individuals are. It has a limited amount of power that the people loan it. And in Federalist 46, Madison made clear, look, the reason Americans have guns is if the government begins to overrun a state, Americans can come together in militia and they can repel that tyranny and keep that state free. And that's what's in his mind when he writes that phrase about the free state uh, in the Second Amendment. 
And before the left-wing groups get all nervous about, you know, what we're talking about here, you can look it up in the Federalist Papers, like you just said. This is a component to uh, our Constitution. And right. um, I so appreciate your expertise. Uh, thank you very much. And how old were you when you first learned to shoot? Probably about 11. I used to go out in the on one of my friend's farms with my father. My father would take a revolver and a 22 revolver and we would shoot cans together. And then wasn't long till I think I had a Marlin model 60 22. And I would put that on my back every day, right off in the woods and shoot during the day. And, you know, it, it's evolved since then what I like to shoot, but I never forget those times with my dad. Very beautiful. Thanks for sharing. AWR Hawkins um, at Twitter at AWR Hawkins and check him out in Breitbart as well. Thank you, sir. And we'll be right back. Well, there is Joe Biden, the president of the United States, somehow at the NATO summit, uh, trying to get his bearings, it looks like. Uh, they're meeting in Lithuania. And whenever NATO comes up, I do think of President Trump back when he was this his first one. And boom, get out of my way. Uh, <laughs> boom. I loved it, actually. You know, uh, America does not get boxed out. And uh, for more on what's happening over there and China, I want to go to Gordon Chang and Blaine Holt, two of our favorites. Uh, Blaine, uh, retired Brigadier General, by the way, and you, you worked extensively with NATO. Just on the optics, uh, what we saw today in Lithuania, the hesitancy, and we all know what he's like uh, in public and behind the scenes. Is this damaging our national security? It, it all rolls up, and it's great to be with both of you. It all rolls up to weakness and the projection of weakness. And honestly, the president is being very ill-served by his staff. His staff has got to take far better care of him. And that means that if necessary for physical needs, he's going to have to fly in earlier. He's going to have to be well-rested. And um, uh, But the trail uh, of weakness just goes right on through this national security team. And it's been that way ever since they took their seats. And here we have the most consequential NATO summit ever in its entire history. And the ink's not wet on all the back office agreements yet either. We don't know what's going to happen. This is not a good optic for us at a time when we need to uh, exhibit strength. And Gordon Chang, uh, bad optics. The Secretary of Treasury going over to China and bowing like crazy, which, I, number one, I did not know that that was even a custom in China. I don't think it is. Uh, why would she do that? And what does it what signal does it send? And is that a custom in China? Well, it is incomprehensible that she did that. In imperial times, vassals who came to the Grand Chinese Court would bow three times to the emperor. But we got to remember that Janet Yellen is not meeting the emperor. She's <laughs> meeting somebody who's actually lower in rank than she is. And by the way, Americans never bowed to anyone. As Nancy, Rans as Nancy Reagan said during um, his administration, you know, I'm not curtsying to the Queen of England. And that's the American position. We don't bow to the emperor of Japan, and we certainly don't bow to minor Chinese officials of a totalitarian state. Right. Um, by the way, if I'm traveling, I can bow, though, right? Am I supposed to bow if I'm in uh, you got I mean, am I, but seriously, as an individual, is it a kind of courtesy to bow in like Japan or something like that? Blaine it, it, or Gordon? Yeah, it is a courtesy to bow when someone bows to you in Japan. If you're not an American official, if you're not an American official, if you're an American official, you never bow to anybody. 
Well, I can't look weak yeah. no matter what, so I'm not taking any chances. I would like to uh, look. I just heard this that uh, Zelensky actually says no elections until this war is over. He's citing a law that they technically can't have elections until the war is over. But I was taken aback by that because, you know, we we want the democracy to win, and I keep hearing about you know Ukraine democracy, but. Blaine, General Holt, did you know that uh, he doesn't want to have any elections until the war is over? I mean, democracies have elections during war. I, I did. And it's it's a frightful balance that he's striking here. Personally, if I was his advisor, I'd be advising the other way. Um, but I certainly understand the risk and the fear that there's infiltrated members from Russia in the Ukrainian government. They're worried that, you know, and this is why he also shut down some churches. Uh, he has shut down opposition groups. And again, if you're trying to make a case that you're ready for membership in the EU or NATO, those are red strikes against you. Um, I, I, I I think there's a risk component uh, for him. Uh, so I'm, I'm not it's not a very clear decision for him. But if I was advising him, I would say, hey, look, you've got to project yourself as a, as a Western democracy if you want to be one. Uh, and Gordon, if I can back to China for a moment, your tweets, they're golden. Everybody should follow Gordon at Gordon G. Chang. They will sometimes keep you up at night. These are a bit more. Well, full screen number one, please. This is uh, from over the weekend. America's elite thinks we're at peace. China's regime, however, is waging its brand of war. What is uh, China's brand of war? It's unrestricted warfare, which means that short of a declaration of war or short of a kinetic attack, they're killing Americans with fentanyl, with COVID-19. They're trying to destroy our economy with uh, the theft of intellectual property to the tune of $500 billion a year, perhaps. Um, they're going after our society by trying to divide it. Um, fomenting violence on American streets, which they did in 2020. And there certainly were messing in our elections to help Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primaries in 2020 and to help Biden over Trump in the general election. So that is their brand of war. But it will go kinetic because right now yeah. China sees um, weakness, as you point out, in the Biden administration. They've got some real problems inside China. They, I think, are going to go. They're going to go. They're going to go. Hey, let me ask you this. You mentioned all the people sneaking across the border, many uh, military age men from China, very weird to be coming in through Mexico. Uh, Gordon, are they as fanatical as, say, Al Qaeda terrorists? I, 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 I don't associate that kind of fanaticism with Chinese, um, with these Chinese individuals. I, I, it, but is it there? They're not fanatical, but they're more dangerous because they are well organized, they are funded, and they are driven by a malicious Chinese regime. So we have to assume that these males of military age coming in packs of five to 15, pretending not to speak English, conducting PLA, Chinese military rituals, um, yeah, they're going to be attacking our society. And we're going to be at war on American soil for the first time since 1812. Damn. Damn. And uh, who's the commander in chief right now? Joe Biden, who took the weekend off, took the weekend off at a beach in in Delaware. Uh, this is not a leader. This is a man who is retired or look, anybody can go to the beach, but not when you're president of the United States. General Holt. That's exactly right. 
We we have what appears to be a compromised administration, and every single visit to China bears that out more and more. We don't hold them accountable for any of these things that Gordon's talking about, the uh, invasion on our air sovereignty. And, and let's be very clear about these 5 to 15 males in groups and clumps. These are what we call political stability units, and they're there to create chaos when they get the proper orders. And somebody better start dealing with them now and taking them seriously. We're in a very serious place right now. General Holt, you can follow him at the underscore irascible. Okay, <laughs> the underscore irascible. That's uh, General Holt's Twitter. And uh, Gordon, Gordon G. Chang at Gordon G. Chang. Everybody should get on Twitter. I actually believe that. You got to be vocal on Twitter. What's the G for, Gordon? It's for Guthrie, as in Arlo, because my mom was American <laughs> of Scottish descent. So I'm Gordon Guthrie Chang. Love it. Love it. Alice's yeah. Restaurant. And now I know. Now you know, too. Thank you, gentlemen. I'll be right back. So have you ever heard of this? Kremlinology. Back during the Soviet Union, uh, they weren't really upfront with the people, okay? They never put out anything in public. You had to read between the lines. Kremlinology is basically... Uh, a science, a study of reading in between the lines used to mean any attempt to understand a secretive organization process or events by interpreting indirect clues. OK, that brings me to the Hunter Biden uh, unacknowledged daughter situation and unacknowledged granddaughter situation. The New York Times. OK, this is basically the official organ mouthpiece of the Democrat Party and the Biden administration. They have done something very interesting. They're writing about um, the granddaughter, the granddaughter that does exist. Hunter hooked up with somebody in Washington, D.C., and then did everything wrong, would not, well, take responsibility for his child, tried to deny it, ran away, uh, had to be forced to take a paternity test. It's his. I don't think he's ever met the child. Uh, Joe Biden has never met the child. It's a total and complete disgrace. And the New York Times, have, they've had it. They've had it. Now, they've written about it twice in the past 10 days or so. Me, as I told you earlier, I was talking about it in February of last year um, because it was important. But that's, that's me. The New York Times, they don't share the truth with their viewers, uh, with their readers, like I do. And they finally came clean. Uh, and they're writing about it. Maureen Dowd, have you ever heard of her? Pretty, uh, pretty interesting columnist there. She wrote that her sister uh, wrote a letter to Joe and said this. What I find unconscionable is that you refuse to admit or accept the fact that there is a beautiful little four-year-old girl living in Arkansas by the name of Navy Joan, who is your seventh grandchild. She has the Biden blood running through her veins, and all she is going to have as a reminder of this are some of Hunter's original paintings. Sounds like a lousy trade-off, if you ask me. It is the heart of his political narrative. Empathy, born of family tragedies, has been his stock in trade. Callously scarring Navy's life just as it gets started undercuts all that. What the Navy story reveals is how dated and inauthentic the 80-year-old president's view of family is. 
Once you could get away with using terms like out of wedlock and pretend that children born outside of marriage didn't exist or were somehow shameful, but now we have become vastly more accepting of non-traditional families. But the president can't defend Hunter on all of his other issues and messes and draw the line at accepting one little girl. You can't punish her for something she had no choice about. The president's cold shoulder and heart is counter to every message he has sent for decades, and it's out of sync with the America he wants to continue to lead. This is important that the Times did this. This could be a signal, Kremlinology, that the powers that be, Barack Obama maybe and others, are done with him, and he won't be the nominee after all. Anyway, he should do the right thing for that little girl, don't you think? We'll be right back. It's our America. We built it. Courage. Freedom. Millions go to Newsmax when they need to know. Start today on the free Newsmax app. Newsmax is real news for real people. Many thanks, and we'll see you tomorrow.